So what I want to do today is the sheets that you had last week are the sheets that you need this week. We're going to finish up ADHD. There are some extra ones back there if you don't have one. And right now, we're just going to walk, after I pray, we're going to walk through the, and review what we did last week very briefly and then get into the last portion, which is assessing these things biblically. So let's, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, this day, for this church, for your love for us, for your goodness, which is evident in, in everything that we see and experience. And uh, Lord, I do pray for your blessing upon today's study, that we would remain uh, clear and focused on your word, that we would not be uh, swayed by untruths that uh, the world propounds and that Satan would love for us to believe. I pray that you'd give us true discernment. We thank you for how you've blessed our land with much rain. That's answered uh, many prayers. We thank you for how you provide for us physically. We pray for you that you'd give uh, uh, wisdom to our leaders uh, to guide this nation and this uh, state well, and uh, that we might continue to have the freedom to worship and serve you and to serve others and to proclaim the gospel. And we uh, pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> All right. Quick review. Um, just defining, you want to turn over your sheets, defining ADHD, it's Attention Deficit and Hyperactivity Disorder. It's described by these particular symptoms, symptoms which we already went through, which we're actually going to go through here in a moment. So I'm not going to uh, go over that. But uh, it involves both inattention and hyperactivity, or impulsivity is another way to say it, which I, I prefer that word, impulsivity. It, it gives a more moral component to it, which I think is appropriate. But it is largely uh, defined by its symptoms, symptoms of inattention, uh, a very consistent inattention where this is actually causing real problems and troubles in a person's life, uh, hyperactivity or impulsivity with their behavior, with their words, with their, uh, how they talk and, and interact with other people, which causes all kinds of problems in relationships and at work, maybe at school as well, at home. Um, and we're going to talk specifically about each of those behaviors that we addressed last week. So we're going very quickly over this behavior or this de definition portion because at the, today's one we're actually going to go, like I said, verse by verse through the DSM and verse by verse through the Bible. So then let's go on to the next question. What are the underlying anthropological assumptions from which the modern ADHD diagnosis is built? And simply it's naturalism, it's materialism that... Uh, man is, humankind is basically biology. That there's no real place in a secular anthropology for the immaterial soul or the immaterial mind. The mind in the brain is collapsed in significant measure so that mental activity is reduced, you could say, to biology in a significant sense. And this has caused all kinds of problems within the actual practice of psychology and psychiatry itself because. People, whether they're Christian or not, they all know that we're more than biology. There's just a, you just kind of intuitively know it. And there's, there, they, people, plenty of psychiatrists and psychologists are seeing there's a problem with just collapsing everything down to biology. We need to be able to hold a person culpable. They need to have responsibility, and it's hard to talk about human responsibility if we are just what we are uh, by biology. So uh, that's the, that's the uh, anthropological assumption. That's probably the biggest thing for us to know. When you're talking about secular psychology versus a biblical worldview, you have two antithetical 
anthropologies. Two ways of viewing men that cannot both be true at the same time. And both of which have significant implications for how you think about a person and how you will think about their problems and how you will diagnose and how you will treat. Okay? If there's anything you guys get this, I want you to get that. So that when you hear claims made by uh, professionals in the world, you won't just grab that claim hook, line, and sinker. You'll think about it and go, no, 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 no. What's the underlying assumption here? What are they working from? I think that's very powerful in terms of our discernment. Uh, is there agreement amongst the psychiatric, psychological, and scientific community about the existence, nature, cause of an effective treatment for ADHD? And the answer is a resounding no. And like I said last week, it is not even close. A lot of disagreement. In fact, in the last three decades, it's been recognized that the ADHD diagnosis is highly controversial. And there's a lot of disagreement about it and its nature and its cause and how to treat it and all of that within the psychiatric psychological community, not just between Christians and secular scientists. No, this is within the, the psychological community itself. And so it is a, a, a controversial diagnosis. Is ADHD a physical disease? Uh, I argued uh, last week that the answer is no, and we looked at all the major studies that suggest that it is, and, and they have been uh, it's been demonstrated that these are inconclusive, and I would say that the most honest neurologists are the ones who say that the regions of the brain, there are certain regions of the brain that they link to ADHD, and I think the most honest neurologists, I may be, may be honest, that's a strong word, let's say objective, uh, let's say that the most objective um, are the ones that say that these regions in the brain are involved in areas of motivation and self-control. I think the word involved is better than cause or bring about. And I was listening to a neurologist give a whole explanation for how the, the, the brain works, and, and he was saying interchangeably, cause, cause, involves, involves. And, and I think it's better to say involves, because whether or not ADHD is caused by these um, uh, various uh, regions of the brain, that's inconclusive, first of all. And second of all, for the Christian, we know that ultimately a, uh, a physical, something physical doesn't cause moral behavior ultimately. You, the person, the, the, uh, the soul, you, who you are, you are the one who uh, is responsible for and causes your actions. And, or as the scripture says, everything comes from the heart, right? Guard your heart for from it flow the, the, the issues of life. And so no, I would argue that no, it's not a... a, a physical disease and even within uh, psychiatry and psychology itself it's inconclusive in terms of cause and effect and really it's if you are working from a naturalistic framework you have to eventually say I mean that's the direction you have to go you have to I mean I, I'm not faulting these folks for for collapsing mind and brain because that's the direction you have to go that's inevitably where you have to go if you're working from a naturalistic framework uh, and so that's, I see, I see, I understand why there's this, this moving towards a, trying to find a biological cause because that's the worldview, that's the framework, that's the anthropology that you're working from. Um, but I would say, no, that there's, it's not conclusive whatsoever. And we know as Christians that you, the heart, we are, the, our, our, our moral behaviors come from the heart. Jesus is clear about, scripture is clear about that. Uh, what are the moral implications of rooting these behaviors in the brain? Uh, the person is no longer morally responsible for these behaviors. And in case you thought I was making things up, I quoted a 
an actual book on ADHD last week, a popular one, <clears throat> where the author was very clear that you are not, um, if you're an adult with ADHD, I'm here to tell you that you're neither rude nor lack self-discipline. You uh, do not have a bad attitude. You're not just lazy. The neurons in your brain are not just firing as well as they should. This is not your fault. Okay? So that's, that's the direction that this kind of viewpoint, this kind of worldview would take us. Okay. How do you assess these behaviors biblically? Now, now, this is, now we're talking about counseling others and counseling ourselves and just generally thinking about this issue because, like I said, it could be that you had this diagnosis early in your life. Uh, uh, adults are more and more being diagnosed with this. and you know, When I use the word diagnosis, I'm using it in the sense that the, the psychological community is using it, in the non-traditional sense. And so I, you could almost put diagnose in quotes because a diagnosis traditionally is something where you see symptoms and you root it back to an organic cause. When you are diagnosing something like ADHD, all you're doing is agreeing with that person that they have a certain set of behaviors, you recognize the behaviors, and you label it as ADHD. So when, I, when I'm using diagnosis, that's the way I'm using it. So more and more adults are being diagnosed with ADHD today, so it's, it could be possible that in your interactions, or maybe you, you believe you have adult ADHD, or you interact with people who claim that they do, I want to help us think carefully and biblically about these things, and, uh, and then and counsel ourselves and counsel others with regard to these things. Um, starting with a quote from the, the book from uh, Berger, what's his first name? Daniel Berger. He says this, quote, Whereas secular theories attempt to answer the question of how parents can take a child from behaving uh, as the construct of ADHD describes to being normal, so that's, that's the goal. You have the DSM describes the ADHD behaviors. You recognize those behaviors are very problematic. Now we need to get that kid to be normal, however you would define normal, which is problematic, right, unless you have a, a standard, a transcendent standard that tells you what normal is. But nevertheless, that's the goal for the secular theories. Scripture has very different categories. What, is, what, is, what are the categories in Proverbs? What, what, what are you trying to take a child or an adult even? Uh, what categories are you trying to take them from? You're trying to take them from here to here. What are the two categories? They're starting here, which is what? They are foolish, and you're trying to get them to be wise. Those are the two categories that Scripture gives us. You're bringing the child from foolishness to wisdom. You're bringing the adult, <laughs> the adolescent. Uh, even that word adolescent is loaded with... Psycho unproven psychological theory, but um, anyways, um, you're trying to bring the adult, the adolescent, the, the child from foolishness to wisdom. Those are the categories biblically. And we have a standard, don't we? Scripture gives us the transcendent standard for what uh, true, godly, right behavior is, what true humanity should look like. It's Jesus Christ, and then we have all the various commands and instructions of Scripture to, that show us what that is to look like. So we're to be taking uh, ourselves or taking our children and helping others go from foolishness to wisdom. That is, the, that is the walk of the Christian life, isn't it? Continually moving toward greater and greater wisdom. And for the child whose, Scripture says, whose heart is bound up with foolishness, who enters the world as naturally foolish, it is the labor of the parent to bring them more and more on that path of wisdom. Scripture is sufficient for the work of training a child to move from foolishness to wisdom. Uh, it is sufficient. It, is, it gives us everything that we need to, for every good work, it says. Every good work. And I would say that 
what we are talking about here in terms of these kinds of behaviors, these involve our good works or our obedience to God, so Scripture is sufficient. Um, the heart is the primary concern for us and for parents, for parents as they're training their children, and for us in our own uh, lives. Proverbs, again, just to remind us, Proverbs 4.23, you, you know, we, we are meant to read the Proverbs not quickly, but to linger over them and to ponder them and to take a piece and, and chew on it all day long. Proverbs 4.23, we might skip over it, just kind of, oh, I know that, but listen to it again. Keep your heart with all vigilance, okay? There's your responsibility. You have a heart, and, and he's going to tell you why it's so important to, to guard it, to keep it, to, to pay attention. For from it flow the springs of life. That's a very comprehensive statement. Everything in life, in your life, flows from the heart. Jesus will be more, even more detailed in the New Testament in Matthew chapter 15. He'll say that all the evil that we do comes from the heart. He talks about, um, this is Matthew 15, chapter uh, 15, verses 19 through 20. or I'm sorry, yeah, 19 to 20. Uh, he says, um, this is an engagement with the Pharisees now. They're, they're concerned because the uh, disciples aren't washing their hands like the, the Pharisees do. And for the Pharisees, it wasn't a matter of hygiene. It was a matter of being spiritually clean. But Jesus is like, cleaning your hands, that's not the issue. The issue is, uh, and it's not even uh, about foods either, what kinds of foods you eat. It's about what comes out of the um, mouth that defiles a person. Um, oh, actually, I'm sorry, this is, chapter 19 is where he talks to about, um, oh no, I'm right. Yeah, um, he's here, he's talking about, yeah, tr the traditions of the, the elders, they don't wash their hands, and he's, they're, they're wondering, why don't you wash your hands, and Jesus is like, why do you break the commandment of God, which is honor your father and mother, so Jesus confronts them with the commandments, they're making up traditions that aren't based in God's commandments, so then he, then he goes on to talk about, you think that washing your hands is what defiles you. Here, I'll tell you what really defiles you. It's not even the taking in of certain foods. Uh, he says in verse 17, he says, Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes out the stomach and is expelled? That's the way it works. You receive food for energy, and your body removes that which it doesn't need. That's, that's, but it has nothing to do with your moral behavior. But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witnesses, and slander. This is what are, this are, these are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. And this just ties directly to what you see in Proverbs 4.23. Everything that we are, our heart is the seat, you could say, of our affections. It is the center of who we are. It's the way that the Old Testament and the New Testament as well talks about the, the, um, the, the center, the, who we really are is, is described as the heart. From your heart flow everything, it flows everything else because the heart is who you are. It's what you are. And so the heart must be of primary concern for parents as they are discipling and training their children. And it must be our primary concern not merely the external behavior, not merely coming to church and having some sort of external behavior where we conform to people's expectations, but an actual heart that is being changed to love the right things. 
and to love good things. That really is conversion, isn't it? That's when I realized I had been changed because I went from loving immorality to loving sexual purity. I mean, there is no way on it. And that's not wasn't just a conformity to a certain kind of standard that people were expecting me. My friends around me are expecting me to conform to immorality and to unholiness. And there was such a change in my life, I was like, there's no way on earth that I could have done that, right? But that's, that's what conversion is. That's what sanctification is, is the growing more and more to love the right things, right? Why? Because, because your heart is what controls your behavior. So the heart must be a, a focus for both parents and for us as we disciple ourselves, as we counsel ourselves and counsel others. Um, this is an important point, and we talked about this last week. A child's natural starting point is foolishness, self-centeredness, selfishness, lack of self-control, and resistance to authority. And if that is not curbed in a child's life, what happens in adulthood? It just continues. You just, you're just moving in the natural course, natural tendencies. That's, that's how we're brought into the world. That's who we naturally are, and so parents are continually trying to push and push and push them in the way of wisdom. And this is what adults need to hear this as well. We are naturally foolish, self-centered, selfish, lack self-control, and naturally resist authority. And we need to be continually trained, as the New Testament would put it, to put off these kinds of things and to put off foolishness and to continue to grow in wisdom. This is how Proverbs 22.15 describes the child. Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. They come into the world, their heart is, as it were, wrapped up with folly. What comes out of a child's heart? Folly, for the most part. Uh, Foolish decisions, impulsivity, uh, uncontrolled anger, resistance to authority, selfishness, just doing what I want to do, and really complaining when there are things that you want me to do that I don't want to do. And then uh, other uh, issues as well, like laziness and so on. The goal for the parent must be to guide the child towards divine wisdom, and you must establish this goal of wisdom from the very beginning because your goals will determine the means. The goal for us as we're walking with one another should be to help each other move in the paths of greater and greater wisdom, and it's the same for the parent as well as they're training their children. Proverbs 29.15, for parenting, uh, there are... are, um, Two primary means, verse 15 of chapter 29, it says, The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. And uh, why does he bring shame to his mother? Because left to himself, he just goes in his natural course. And if you brought into the world naturally selfish and self-centered and foolish, then to just be left like that, those tendencies are only going to grow in their intensity as you grow older. Some people have said God made children uh, uh, small and helpless because otherwise they would kill you to get what they want. Because they are, they are all willfulness. They are all selfishness. They are, they are only thinking about what they want. And when they don't get it, what do they do? Well, they, all they can do is throw a tantrum. They can't kill you because they're so little and cute. Um, Praise God, exactly. 
Um, but that's, that's, that's what they are. It's, it's natural to them. So then what God has given to parents is both uh, corrective discipline, not punishment. That's an important piece. Parents, Christian parents are not punishing their children in a, a, a retributive sense, but they are correcting wrong behavior to get their attention, and then they're reproving wrong behavior, and then also training them, as the Proverbs do, in what is right. That was wrong. You need to learn right and wrong. Now this is what is right. Now move in the path of uh, righteousness because there's blessing ahead, as we'll talk about, massive blessing. And if you move down the path of foolishness, there's nothing but heartache and destruction. Uh, The goal for the child and for the adult is to grow into a Christ-centered, wise, holy, servant-hearted, productive member of church and society. The goal is not behavior modification or good grades in school. But ultimately, a child and the adult needs the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit to become a Christ-centered, wise, holy, servant-hearted, productive member of church and society. Okay, now this is all set up for when we get to comparing the DSM with Scripture. Uh, We need to see how these issues that are brought up, these behaviors that are brought up in the DSM, are dealt with at a foundational level in in Scripture. Um, Salvation only comes through faith, in the Word of God, there, and that's Romans 10, 17, therefore Scripture is central to the parenting process and to the counseling process. Sanctification only comes through the Word of God, ultimately. Therefore, Scripture is central to the counseling process. Uh, and encouraging peace, uh, this is why it's so important to know good theology, parents cannot hold themselves responsible for their children's salvation and their child's ultimate move from uh, foolishness to wisdom. Now, we saw in here that a child left to himself, he'll continue in the, in the natural course of his ways, and he'll bring shame to his mother, right? So the parents do have a responsibility. What's their responsibility? It's only the parents' responsibility to train their children consistently according to biblical principles for the glory of God. Ultimately, because you cannot control your child's salvation, and the ultimate move from foolishness to wisdom, all you can do is parent for the glory of God. And Amy and I have to remind ourselves of this. That's your ultimate joy as a parent. Because if you only look at uh, the, the, the outcome of things, the ultimate outcome of things, and hold yourself responsible for it, then you're going to be greatly disappointed, especially if that child is, doesn't ever become a believer. So the parent's job is to train their child uh, consistently according to biblical principles to the glory of God. And God is ultimately the one who saves and sanctifies. But you can train, and you can have effective training in your home. Um, okay. This is an important piece. The child's attention, this is, I didn't realize this until I was uh, preparing for these lessons. A child's attention is a major concern in the Proverbs. It, they, the, uh, Solomon's always saying, like, listen to me. Listen. Hear my voice. Listen to my instructions. They're good instructions. Listen. That's all about what? Attention. And apparently, somebody, his child had ADHD because he's having keeping to say, listen, listen. No, the child was just normal, wasn't he? Right? Listen to me. Uh, uh, attention to good teaching, attention to sound teaching is crucial for a person's growth from foolishness to wisdom. So actually, attention is not a side issue. So grasping a child's attention, an adult's attention even, uh, is essential for them moving from foolishness to wisdom because they have to pay attention to 
the, the good instructions and then apply them to their lives. All right, let's go over to chapter 3 of Proverbs so we can see all the blessings of wisdom. <clears throat> Chapter 3, verse, uh, uh, here are the benefits, uh, well, here's both parents and children and adults need to be constantly reminded of the benefits of wisdom. Chapter 6, verse, uh, I'm sorry, chapter 3, verse 6, no, chapter 3, verse 2, long life, for the length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. What will? My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your uh, heart keep my commandments. What does that provide for length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you? Verse 16, long life is in her right hand, namely wisdom's right hand. In her left hand are riches and honor. You know, it, it, it is interesting to note that the Proverbs do attribute long life to a person living in wisdom. Now, that's not always the case. You can have wise, godly people be taken from us at a very early age. Some of the some, some great folks in church history have been taken from us in an, at an early age. So it's not an absolute guarantee, but there is a sense in which if you're living according to reality, living according to God's wisdom and living according to the way things were made, that you will enjoy a longer, happier life. It's not always the case, right? And it's not, it's not saying that you'll never experience suffering or trouble, but nevertheless, these promises are pretty robust. Uh, what are the results, benefits of wisdom? Peace, chapter uh, 3, verse 2, for length of days and years of life, and peace they will add to you. Verse 17, her ways are way, ways of wisdom, are ways of pleasantness, and all her paths are peace. Living in, pleasant, or living in wisdom is a pleasant thing. Uh, they provide grace, verse 4, so you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Uh, verse 34, uh, towards the scorners he is scornful, but to the humble he gives favor or gives grace. James 4, 6 and Peter, 1 Peter 5 quote this passage. God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Right relationships, verse 4. That's what verse 4 was indicating. You'll find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. If you're walking in wisdom, your relationships are going to be intact. You're going to know how to interact with people and engage with people and love people and serve people and be rebuked by people and, and have honest, open relationships with people. You'll find favor in the sight of God and man if you walk in wisdom. Uh, physical health, and we've already mentioned, verse 8, it will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. It's not metaphorical. I don't think it's metaphorical. I think it's literal. Like, if you're walking in wisdom and walking in a good conscience and, and, and following God and turning away from sin, and it's going to have a physical effect on you as well, right? Um, walking in wisdom provides you with what you need. Verse 10, Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. The, the precursor to that was honoring the Lord with your wealth and from the first fruits of your produce. That's walking in wisdom. And as you walk in wisdom, and there's promises elsewhere that don't relate directly to giving to God, but that talk about a person who is wise will have a, a home of, of, of riches. They'll have plenty of provision. Uh, verse 16, uh, long life is in her right hand and in her left hand are riches and honor. Ultimately, right, because we'll in, receive an inheritance from the Lord, an, an infinite inheritance from the Lord, but an eternal inheritance. But I, these, are, these are talking about temporal provisions. Holiness is a benefit. Uh, this is chapter 3, verse 24. 
Um, if you lie down, you will not be afraid. When you uh, lie down, your sleep will be sweet. Uh, this is the reason why we, we say this is, is holiness, because when you are walking in holiness or integrity, then you are going to experience the sweetness of a good night's sleep. The experience, you're going to experience the sweetness of a clean conscience that doesn't have to worry about bad things uh, happening to you uh, because of retribution or, or foolishness that you've uh, done that's going to come back to bite you. So you, when you lie down, you're not afraid. This is a fruit of wisdom. This is a fruit of holiness. This is a fruit of integrity. People who lack integrity are always just on edge, anxious, restless, as we'll see. Restlessness is actually something, uh, uh, um, a symptom, a uh, so-called symptom in the DSM of ADHD. Scripture tells us why people are restless. Um, provides, wisdom provides mental stability, happiness, eternal life, a joyful home. Uh, on the flip side of that, foolishness results in a cursed house, that's verse 33, rejection and separation from God, that's verse 34, and a dishonorable life, that's verse 35. And there's much more we could talk about just from that chapter. But just to remind it again of the benefits of wisdom. All right, now let's contrast the DSM with Scripture. I'm going to go through each of the, the, the verses in the DSM that I explained last time. And we'll see how they contrast with how Scripture talks about these kinds of behaviors. Remember, ADHD is just one way of interpreting behaviors that we all agree upon and that we all agree are problematic. It's just one way. Here's another way. Here's another way of interpreting them. Quote, often fails to give close attention to details or makes careless mistakes in schoolwork, at work, or during other activities. That is, overlooks and misses details, work is inaccurate. Often has difficulty sustaining attention in tasks or play activities. That is, uh, has difficulty remaining focused during lectures, conversations, or lengthy reading. Okay, that's the DSM. That's a, observing a behavior in, in a person. And I would say, biblically, this can reveal a person's heart. That is, they do not care about the things, their schoolwork, or they simply do not want to do those things, so they find it hard to pay attention to apply them and apply themselves. There may be other underlying factors. I mean, it's, it's, it's quite clear that uh, children with so-called ADHD, uh, there are some who, whose family life is a cause, right? Think of a child who they're coming from a, a family where the dad is abusive, he's, he's beating his mom, their mom every other night, maybe acting out in physical abuse against them, he's, he's drunk, he's, right? Just imagine that kind of scenario. It's not as uncommon as you would think, right? Imagine a child coming from that scenario, coming into the classroom, how well he'll be able to rivet his attention on his schoolwork when his home life is an absolute mess. Right? So there's other underlying factors. The child may have poor nutrition based on their home life uh, and other, other kinds of things. But we also have to consider the fact that a person's inability to, as they put it, uh, as they make careless mistakes or the inability to sustain attention on certain tasks or has a uh, difficulty remaining focused during lectures, conversations, or lengthy reading, in many cases, all that's revealing is you're just not interested in those things. 
And remember what we said last week, one of the, thing, one of the ways it's easy to, to disprove the ADHD construct is just by pointing out that a child who supposedly has ADHD who can't spend 15 minutes on their, their schoolwork has no problem spending three hours on their video games. Fully riveted in. In fact, so riveted in that they will wet their pants because they don't want to go to the bathroom. Right? So, so this idea of um, inability to concentrate and focus and, and listen to lengthy conversations and so on, uh, we have to recognize that this is just revealing in, in, some, in, in many ways, and in, in often the time, it's just revealing a person's interest, their heart. And you just have to admit that. Like, I'm just not interested in... Um, what's, a, what's a seminar you had in college that you just couldn't stand? Um, finite math. Ooh, I couldn't stand that class. My goodness, I took it up in Portland. And I'm just like, I couldn't wait to get out of that class. I'm not paying attention at all because I had zero interest in it. Um, I couldn't focus on my homework. It was so mind-bendingly boring and the teacher was boring. And oh, I, couldn't, I just couldn't focus for the life of me. And it wasn't because I had a neurological disease. It's because I found that utterly boring, bored to tears. Uh, so we just had to, I, that's a, I think that's a reasonable interpretation. And there can also be other factors, as we mentioned. Um, quote, does, often does not follow through on instructions and fails to finish schoolwork, chores, or duties in the workplace. And I would argue that this is just a simple matter of, of diligence. A child and many adults need to be trained to listen carefully to instructions, work on their tasks to completion, finish their projects. This must be done because that's what God requires of them. Right? And these things can be trained. Now, isn't it interesting that there's been a huge uptick in the diagnosis of ADHD as there's been a huge uptick in personal technology? Why? Because uh, our personal technology is um, fragmenting our minds and, our, and, and we're being trained to think in five-second increments. It's becoming very hard for society as a whole to hold a, a thought for any longer than a minute because, because that we haven't built up our concentration endurance and we need we need a we need a break we need a break we need a break and um, in in the case here losing uh, quickly losing focus again that can be a matter of the heart not paying attention or not paying attention due to uh, just simple desires but this is also just a matter of what scripture is called diligence and if we come into the world naturally foolish naturally lazy naturally bent on self and taking the easiest route then then if we are not trained in a different direction, then that will remain a pattern in our life. And uh, children can be trained in this area, and parent, uh, adults can be trained in this area. Uh, another one, often has difficulty organizing tasks and activities, managing uh, sequential tasks, difficulty keeping materials and belongings in order, messy, disorganized work, has poor time management, fails to meet deadlines, or avoids uh, often avoids, disliked, or is it reluctant to engage in tasks that requ uh, require sustained mental effort, schoolwork or homework or, uh, for older adults and adolescents, preparing reports, completing forms, and reviewing lengthy papers. And I would just say some people have greater mental gifts than others, but we're all responsible to use our minds, and most serious mind work is just flat out hard. It just is. It's hard to, to, to read something that you don't really understand and to work on it until you get it. It's just hard. I don't think, personally, and I think this is actually 
an advantage. I was told in seminary that if things come hard to you, you'll be a better teacher. When things come easy to you, you're not a very, you usually aren't a very good teacher because you just expect everybody to get it like you do. But when you have to read over a text because you just are not that smart and you have to keep pouring over it and pouring over it, oh, I get it. And it took you time and took you process and you had to take things apart. Then you, you can tend to explain things better to people. But honestly, the things that are described here, it's just hard work that we have to be trained in, right? using our minds. And some of us are more skilled at it than others. Some of us have different mental gifts than others, and that's, that's okay, but I don't think this should be chalked up to a, some sort of neurological disease. Uh, a person may not engage in tasks that require sustained mental effort in subjects they don't find interesting, right? But I find that even for those, even for those who would say that they're not intellectual, that they don't have intellectual gifts, they are, they are able to focus sustained mental effort on things they find interesting. That's why the guy who says, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not real smart, you know, I'm not real smart, and uh, that's, why, uh, that's why I work this, you know, I'm a blue-collar working, you know, and that's the job I do. And, and they, they would not consider themselves really mentally strong, and yet they have the, I was using kind of a, a Boston accent, so, they have the Boston Red, Sox, uh, Boston Red Sox stats memorized from 1968 onwards, right? I know people like that, who, who, who would say that I'm not, I'm not intellectually strong. Okay, we can have that conversation. But who in, in, in certain areas where they are very interested, they have a remarkable intellect. Uh, the guys who worked on our house, um, I don't know what Dave has in terms of formal education. But he's a contractor, and you could say, okay, he's blue collar. Uh, they're, they're hammering nails and putting up framing and stuff like that. Uh, to hear them talk about all that is required and all the measurements and stuff like that, uh, we were sitting around our table talking with the draftsmen and the contractors talking about all this stuff that needs to happen for our house. And uh, it was, was mind-bending for me to even try to wrap my head. I didn't know what they were talking about. You know, uh, mud sills and uh, uh, foundations and how the levels and framing. And I, got, I didn't get a half of it. I didn't get a quarter of it, right? And you could say, well, academically, that contractor is not intellectually gifted. But I'm telling you, I, I didn't understand half of what he's talking about as he's just masterfully discussing all these things that are required to remodel our home, right? So in terms of intellectual gifting or the ability to focus our attention on things, so much of it has to do with personal interest and the heart behind it. Um, again, the issue is the heart. There are plenty of things that we don't want to do and therefore are reluctant to put in the mental effort. But that's why we must be trained and given a heart to look beyond the task itself, which we don't like, to a greater source of pleasure and satisfaction. This, this is what it means to grow up into Christ. You're confronted with a task you don't want to do. This is, this is maturity here. Immaturity says, I don't like that task. I'm not going to do it. That's childish. That's foolishness. Okay? Maturity says, I don't like that task, but I look beyond the task. I'm going to find my satisfaction elsewhere. I look beyond the task to the glory of God, the benefit of my neighbor, the skills that I'll develop that will be of greater service to others by doing this task, the blessing my employer or blessing my teacher and my parents with excellent work. That's what maturity does. 
Foolishness says, I don't like it, not going to do it. Maturity says, I don't like it, but for the glory of God and for the benefit of others, I am going to do it. And I'm going to do it to the best of my ability and diligent, be diligent. And we have to be trained in that, don't we? Children have to be trained in it. We have to be trained in it constantly. Uh, often loses things necessary for tasks, quoting now again, often loses things necessary for tasks and activities. Uh, for example, school materials, pencils, books, wallets, keys, paperwork, eyeglasses, mobile telephones. Of course I'll have to say this. Uh, this is not a moral problem, okay? This is not a, this is not a moral problem, okay? Right? I better not be, otherwise I'm... No. Um, you know, this can, this can be an issue of, of interest and just... Um, paying attention when you need to, of course, but this is also this kind of forgetfulness that afflicts a lot of us, right? Um, if, we're, if we're wrapped up in something, we're thinking a lot about something, it's easy to forget some of these other things. It might become an issue as uh, you're married and you can't find the keys and now you're five minutes late and it's the 10th time that month and you're just not giving effort. It's like, okay, now I need to put some effort into keeping my keys near me, near me knowing where they're at, putting them in a specific place, putting an Apple tag on them, I don't know, but... Um, so in the DSM, we have to be able to clearly pull apart, okay, that's clearly a moral issue, that's a spiritual kind of thing, that's a diligence thing, that's a foolishness thing, and this is just kind of, this is something that afflicts all of us, it's not necessarily sinful, it's just that we're, we're human, we're fallen, we forget things, right? We misplace them. Uh, quote, is often easily distracted by extraneous stimuli, for older adolescents and adults may include unrelated thoughts. Um, you guys ever doing something or thinking about something and another thought comes into your head that's totally unrelated? Does that ever happen to you? Ever? Yes, it happens all the time. Um, but again, this can be a matter of personal interest in the heart. If I love what I'm doing, I'm less distractible. Right? If I'm totally loving what I'm doing, it's hard to distract me from it. Uh, nevertheless, children and adults need to be trained to focus on what they are doing in order to serve others in their task or at playing a game. Even with our kids in playing a game, Ellie will be playing a game and uh, she'll be playing the game with me and then you'll start doing something in the kitchen and boom, she's over to playing the game. I'm like, no, 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 no. You're doing the game now. Finish the game. Then we'll go on to do what mommy is doing in the kitchen. Okay? So even game playing is a place where you teach the child to do what they're doing, to complete what they're doing, to focus on what's in front of them, focus on what God has put in front of them, complete it, and then move on to something else. Children need to learn it. Adults need to learn it. Um, quote, is often forgetful in daily activities, doing chores, running errands. Uh, for adolescents and adults, returning calls, paying bills, keeping appointments. Again, we can all be forgetful at times, right? That's, I don't see that as a moral indictment. That's just living in a fallen world. God's merciful to us. He knows we're going to forget our keys. Love, the Lord knows I'm going to forget my keys sometime. You are very gracious. She is, like I said last week, she, she, she's developed this habit of just seeing in the house, noting everything, all my stuff, backpack there, wallet there, keys there, phone there, so she can tell me later where they're at. Or put them where they're supposed to go. It's very helpful. Um, again, we can all be forgetful, but these activities that, I just, that the DSM just listed, they all relate to exercising dominion, don't they? 
God's created us at the very beginning. To be created in God's image is to be created to exercise dominion over the, the allotment that He has given us. He's given us possessions. He's given us appointments. He's given us bills to pay and calls to return. This is a matter of consideration for others. It's a matter of thinking about others. It's a matter of uh, bringing self-control and imposing some self-control over my life and imposing some dominion over my life so I can steward things in the way that actually removes friction from my life so that I can be a better servant to others. Right? So, so much of this really does boil down to who am I thinking about mostly? Others or myself? And so I think here this this doing chores, running errands, and so on, sure, we're forgetful sometimes, and I am too, but overall, broadly speaking, God has given us an allotment to steward, and he, He's called us to exercise dominion over it and do it responsibly and diligently. So the um, child must learn, and the adult must learn to apply diligence and excellence for the sake of others. They must learn to do, we must learn to do what is difficult and what doesn't immediately appeal to our desires and um, and to train our minds and hearts to work hard in order to serve God and glorify, uh, serve others and glorify God. We are made to exercise dominion and to steward well what God has given us. And we are to put others' interests as more important than our own. So we need the work of God's Word and Spirit to pursue these things and to overcome the initial dislike of a given task or activity. Um, just a few biblical texts to walk through here, and then uh, I'll, I want to end on talking about this restlessness, which I found to be very interesting. Okay, Genesis 1.26, we just talked about that. Uh, 1.26 and following, God created us in His image, and then He set us about to exercise dominion. It was a command to, to be fruitful and multiply and exercise dominion and subdue the earth, bring it under control, organize it, use it. Make it useful to others. There's a certain kind of wisdom built into the world so that if you uh, reject it, you're not going to know how to fully exercise dominion and you're gonna, your life is going to be a bit of a mess, as we'll see here. But this is, this is what we're made for, guys and girls, to exercise dominion over the allotment that God has given us. Just to read it again so we're not thinking that Derek is making things up. Genesis 1.26, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over the, all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So the, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And... He goes on and then says that he looks at everything and it was, behold, very good. And he established man to reflect him as one who rules over and exercises dominion and, and one who creates like their creator. This is so fundamental to who we are. And, it, and it's meant to be in every aspect of our life. How we organize our desk, how we organize our home, how we manage our schedules, how we return emails on time, how we... Uh, complete projects on time, how we work hard on things that, that we may not initially like but that are going to bless other people. This is all about exercising dominion. It's what we are made to do. And in Christ, we are remade to do this and energized by the Holy Spirit to do it well and with wisdom. Proverbs 6, 6-9 through 9 says this, Go to the ant, O sluggard, consider her ways and be wise without having any chief 
officer or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. How long will you lie there, O sluggard, and when will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little a folding of hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. Scripture instructs all Christians to be self-initiators, to plan well, to work hard, and to work continually. We're to be self-initiators. We're to grow in such wisdom that we don't need someone coming along and telling us what to do all the time. Wash the dishes. Sweep the floor. Pay the bills. Wash the car. Get the oil changed. No, 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 no that's, that's what a parent does, right? That's, that's what a, a parent is doing with a child so that eventually they grow and they can manage it all themselves without in, in, initiating it themselves without someone telling them what to do. Uh, Proverbs 12.24, The hand of the diligent will rule while the slothful will be put into forced labor. If a person doesn't get a handle on these natural tendencies to be lazy, easily distracted, unfocused, and unwilling to do hard, uninteresting tasks, they will never get very far in life. And they won't be a whole lot of use to others. Listen to this one, Proverbs 10.26. Like vinegar to the teeth and smoke to the eyes, so is the sluggard who do those who send him. So what I'm afraid of is that if you start labeling these behaviors as some sort of uh, biological disease and then remove moral culpability, which then means you, can, you remove any kind of moral expectation or moral pressure, you are allowing people to uh, walk a path of what Scripture, I think, would call foolishness and, and slothfulness, and you are making them less and less useful to others and, and creating more and more of, of a problem and troubles for their lives. Proverbs fifteen nineteen. The way of the sluggard is like a hedge of thorns, but the path of the upright is a level highway. The person who refuses to apply themselves and exercise dominion over their life, like doing chores, errands, bill pay, etc., will experience a lot of self-made trouble in their life. I mean, that's just empirically verifiable. It's just, <laughs> you can't argue with it, right? The person who says, I have ADHD, that's why I can't do all these things, and does, is not required to start imposing some God-given effort into their life is going to just find out that things are a mess. Okay. Uh, listen to this one, Proverbs 19.24, The sluggard buries his hand in the dish and will not even bring it back to his mouth. Even when it comes to pleasurable activities, the sluggard is unwilling to put in the effort to bless themselves. Um, some folks with ADHD will claim that they, are, they often forget to um, wear the right kinds of clothing, um, so whether that it's too cold or too warm or, or these kinds of things. And slugger, the Proverbs would say, well, that could potentially be an issue of just, you're, you're, you're so lazy that you're just not willing to plan to even bring pleasure to yourself. Isn't that incredible? The sluggard buries his hand in the dish and will not even bring it back to his mouth. Um, okay, fruit of the spirit is self-control. That's Galatians 5:23. Got a couple minutes. I said that we were going to do Q and A this week, did I? Didn't I? I totally lied. I am really sorry. Um, we can do Q and A since I said that we would uh, for a few minutes, um, and then we will move on to, to other things next week. I don't want to beat you down with this, but one thing I did want to bring up is that um, this one here, quote, often runs or climbs about in, uh, climbs in situations where it's inappropriate 
in adolescents or adults, this may be limited to feeling restless. And I just got to thinking, what are some other ways that you would describe restless? Or what are some other words for restlessness? Here they are. Agitated, anxious, disturbed, edgy, fidgety, itchy, nervous, restive, uh, sleepless, troubled, uneasy, unruly, unsettled, antsy, fitful, fretful. And Scripture explains many reasons why a person might be feeling that way. There's, there's a lot of underlying reasons why a person may not be able to rivet their attention on things. They have a guilty conscience. They've left something undone that should have been completed. They're afraid of something bad happening to them. They're driven by a pursuit of their own glory and interest. Therefore, they're never satisfied. They fear man. They need to be working, but they've neglected their work. They're in a trial. They want something immoral. They want something they can't have. Or they just need some serious exercise. Okay? We've got to get deeper than just saying, oh, you're unable to pay attention. Probably the neurons are not firing correctly. It's not your fault. Okay? That's actually superficial. You go deep into the heart and you can explain why some people are feeling restless, biblically speaking. Okay, questions, and then we'll go. You mentioned exercise yeah. in the last bit. Mm -hmm. um, so in, if we are feeling restless, um, would you, would, would you, where would you start, I suppose, like, in trying to diagnose yourself or yeah. Um, in terms of restlessness, uh, I think um, dealing with kind of one of the things I mentioned about biblical counseling, I think one of its strengths is that it, is, it helps you deal with kind of small issues. You've you got to okay, take care of this one, take care of this one, and it gives the person hope that the larger issues can be dealt with. So say, for example, you're feeling, you come to me just feeling restless all the time, and we talk about... You know, you're, you're holed up in your office 10 hours a day, uh, um, and then you go and, and you're sedentary, and then you go to Bible study, and then you um, go home and you sleep and you wake up and you do the, next, the same thing the next day. And uh, you're just, I might suggest, you, you know, some people need more exercise than others, and you might be one of them. Um, and so you should try getting some, building in an exercise regimen into your life not only for your health, but also because we were made to, I mean, just look at how God has made us. Our bodies were made to do pretty rigorous work for those of us who are, are healthy. Some of us are, have physical ailments, but if you're physically healthy, you can tell like you're made to like do physical things, right? Muscles and bones and all this stuff. So I would, that's something I would suggest. And it might solve the problem or it might alleviate it enough to now where we can talk about other reasons because you're still restless. And so I do think we have to consider these things. This is, what scripture, this is why Scripture says we're restless, or could be restless. Guilty conscience. You are restless because you were lazy at work, and now the project is to do is, is two days away, and now you're restless. You wouldn't be restless had you applied diligence up to that point. Um, you're afraid of something bad happening to you, so this is now an issue of trusting God's providence, being assured of your salvation, um, valuing heaven over temporal comforts and, and these kinds of things. So that's an issue. Um, driven by your own pursuit of glory and your own interests, and therefore you'll never be satisfied, therefore you'll always be restless if that's your pursuit. If you're always seeking your glory, always seeking your own interest, making your happiness the primary focal point of life, you'll never be satisfied, and therefore you'll always feel restless. Fearing man will cause you to be restless, to lose sleep at night. These are not 
typically the things that are being addressed when it comes to ADHD? Okay. Good question. Yes, Megan. Oh, yeah. Um, it's so hard for us to, to turn around and yeah. be too focused. Yeah. I guess I would say not so much focused on taking them off of it, but giving them the confidence to know when it's something they could, could work on. Yeah, this is such a delicate thing because, um, because of how powerful those drugs are. Um, I just got done reading a big section about these, those actual drugs. Because of how powerful they are, they can, they can really have a, a terrible uh, effect on you if you don't come off of them the right way. So I don't want to counsel people. I want to inform people of what these really are, of what they're actually doing. They're not getting to a, a root cause of anything. They're just kind of shifting things around neuro, neurologically. And so, how I understand them. And so, I want to inform them about what they're doing. I want, like you said, give them the confidence from Scripture. And then hopefully over time they'll become persuaded enough to the point where they can, they themselves would go to their psychiatrist and begin to level off. But in no way do I want to somehow suggest or encourage that they do it on my authority and that they do it themselves. But as they are, as they're, you know, you're not going to have them come off of it, you're going to, help them hopefully gain confidence and see things from a, uh, a biblical worldview while at the same time having them rightly understand. I, I don't think they're getting the full information about how these, these medications are actually doing or what they're actually doing. Um, you do all that, try to inform them, and, and by God's grace they might um, come off of them. But I, I wouldn't make my goal to get them to do that, because it's just not, that's not my area of expertise and can be very dangerous. My goal is to help inform them and bring them into the Word and help them to think biblically. So, yeah, great question. Anything else? Okay. Well, let me pray for you guys, and you can go. Again, if you have any questions, feel free to uh, talk to me. We, we missed the last part, but I think you can get it. It talks about uh, people often interrupting and intruding on people's conversations or often blurting out things and, and not, not waiting in their uh, in time to talk. Scripture has a lot to say about the controlling of the tongue, so uh, that's where that should be placed in terms of categorization. Let me pray for you guys, and you are free to go. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks and praise for your word, the clarity of it, the usefulness of it. Uh, help us to bind our hearts to it, to not depart from it, to trust you. We just ask that your truth would prevail in our lives and in the lives of others. We ask that your truth would prevail for your glory. Help us not to get angry or wound up uh, when people disagree with us, but um, be able to help us to just speak the truth in love always with a gentle spirit, and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.